911, what's the nature of your emergency? Welcome back to the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton. And in today's episode, I wanted to share with you a Facebook Live that we did in our group, Police, Fire, Military, and Families. I hope you enjoy it. Good morning, Police, Fire, Military, and Families. We are live from this hotel room in San Diego because Clint and I are at a retreat. And I think it's super important to always make sure that we honor our commitments. And the reason that I'm saying that is because if I'm completely honest, I didn't block out my schedule for these three days when we were going to be in San Diego. And I've been talking back and forth. And I know Clint has too with this gentleman, Matthew, we're sitting in front of right now. And we've been dying to have you come on and do a live with us because your story is something that just blows my mind. And I can't even believe that we're going to be in San Diego. And I've been talking about technical difficulties. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's what happens when Clint tries to uh, play around with technology. Not good at it. <laughs> and so, although we're here, um, I just wanted to set everything up and still honor our commitment and bring on Mr. Matthew Enriquez. And Matthew, we are so thankful for you to be just sharing time with us this morning. Not a problem. And you were so willing to open up and to share with us something pretty traumatic. I mean, probably one of the most traumatic situations that I've ever heard coming from somebody who is still here sitting with us today. But before we get to that, can you take us through a little little bit about your background? Uh, Background. I got into private security at the age of, let me see, I think it was 22, 23. I worked for a multi-billion dollar uh, multi-billionaires that uh, own several blocks of downtown Fort Worth. Really enjoyed that. I left there. Then I went to Homeland Security. I worked there for 12 years. Uh, I was a trainer, taught firearms, defensive tactics, handcuff and OC and everything else. Uh, really loved it. Um, wanted to get into law enforcement. I was scared a little bit. Didn't know if I'd be able to handle the, uh, the test and everything. I really wasn't that good in school. I was kind of blew school off. Uh, my wife finally... Uh, talked me into doing it. I did it. Love it. I uh, joined, uh, got into police work in 2008. I've done that for ever since then. Um, going back, I joined the volunteer fire department, local community at the age of 15. And I stayed there a total of 25 years before I finally left. When I left, I was a captain uh, at the department. Awesome. Thank you for your service. Did, did you have any family that has any history? Um, no, my dad was in the military. Um, he served, uh, he was in Vietnam and spent, uh, I think it was like 18 years with the United States Army. And uh, ever since I was a little kid, I was always interested in being a police officer and a firefighter. So I got to live out the, both of my dreams of uh, doing both of them. So once I joined, my brothers, uh, one of my brothers joined. And then my mom, be, my mom was a dispatcher at the uh, fire department and the police department. Did you grow up moving around a lot because your dad was in the army? No, uh, we stayed. Uh, gosh, I was born and raised in a little town out here in Texas, in a uh, uh, suburb of Fort Worth, and uh, we didn't have to move. So it was pretty lucky, pretty fortunate. That's that's excellent. That's really good. Good morning, everybody commenting. So, Matthew, um, 
you were willing to get pretty descriptive with us about a very tragic, a tragic day. So with whatever you're comfortable with sharing, if you could just start the story off wherever, wherever you want to. Okay. It was uh, March 17th of 1994. Um, I was at my house and we toned out for a grass fire. My mom was a dispatcher at the time. Went outside, looked, because it was just right down the road from our house, seeing the smoke. I'm like, ah, you know, it's going to be fun. Get it knocked out really easy and get back to work. So uh, me and uh, one of the guys met up at the fire department. We responded in a brush truck. We went out there um, in the field, the initial hit, and it was pretty muddy. Um, so we wind started kicking up and stuff. We got it knocked, knocked down as much as we could, waiting on other departments to show up. We ran out of water and went back, filled up. And as we were going back out there to uh, to hit the fire again, the head of the fire to try to get it to stop, the engineer stopped the truck. And I looked back, and about you know 20, 25 feet back was the hose that we used from the hydrant to fill up the tank. It had fallen off the back of the truck. So I assumed that was the reason he stopped, got off, walked back, picked up the equipment, walked back. And as I'm putting the equipment back on the truck, the wind had shifted, causing the fire to come back towards the fire truck. The engineer panicked, threw it in reverse, and it knocked me back. And I grabbed a hold of a rail on the back of the truck to keep from going underneath. My right leg or my right ankle gets caught up in the tire, so I have to let go at that point. And the truck backs over me. I get hung up with uh, some of the differential and stuff underneath the truck. I get spun around, finally get uh, free after about 15 or 15 feet or so being dragged. And I look at the front of the truck and he has stopped. So I'm like, okay, cool. Banged up a little bit, but I'm okay. And he comes forward. And as he comes forward, there was hooks on the front of the truck, which got caught up in my bunker pants. So as I'm laying on my back and my feet go over me, kind of folds me in half. At this point, I can hear the bones starting to break, um, ripping and tearing of the muscles and stuff. I'm screaming, praying during the time, you know, that God, please don't let me die. Get dragged about another 15 to 25 feet get loose again and now i'm laying on my stomach i look back i'm like okay cool i'm still in a fight still alive i've got this he comes backing up again and i try to crawl out of the way and as i'm crawling the rear tire of the truck goes over my hip goes up my back and as it got to right around my facial area is when i lost consciousness um the engineer said that he felt the truck come down. When it came down off of me, he felt the bounce and looked back and didn't see me and realized what had happened. So he got out, out of the truck. I was underneath. He was able to pull me out. So when I came to, I'm setting up from underneath the truck, and it's kind of a surreal feeling. I'm like, man, what's going on? This is weird. There's fire all around me. And uh, then I went to talk, threw up blood. Some of the reds popped back into place. I'm like, hey, man, I'm really screwed up. I'm hurt pretty bad. Go ahead and call care flight. Now, I knew my mom was dispatching this call, and so did he. So he, you know, he just called firefighter down. Need you know, need a care flight out here, and she was wanting to know if it was me. And he was just saying ten nine, which was uh, saying, hey, you know, we're not receiving what you're saying, but get the uh, get the care flight out. Um. We get, I get up, take my jacket off, take my helmet off, jump in the truck with the assistance of him. We go to the landing zone. I get out. They already had a backboard laid on the ground and stuff. And when some of my, the guys see me, they kind of freak out and jump back. So I'm thinking, okay, my face is hanging off. Something bad's going on. I uh, laid on the backboard, 
strapped myself down and put a C collar on and just started really lowering my breathing. So in case I had internal bleeding, I didn't want to bleed out if I was panicking. So I was doing skip breathing. I was breathing in for about four seconds, holding it for four seconds, and then letting the breathing back out. I knew that as long as I stayed conscious, I was in the fight. And if I went, if I lost consciousness, that was it. You know, I wasn't in the fight anymore. Mm-hmm. So I tried not to go into shock, and I tried not to bleed out if it was internal injuries, and just sat there and kind of mellowed out until Careflight arrived and uh, took me to the hospital. My mom had called my dad because she thought it was me. You know, she had a feeling. So my dad was actually waiting for me at the hospital when I arrived. And uh, my fiance had showed up as well because I told the guys at the scene, hey, you know, call my wife, call my fiance, tell her I love her, and tell my mom I love her just in case I did not make it. How how important? Because it's something that really like came up for me right there was when you started focusing on your breathing and doing that. Was that important for yourself mentally as well as everything else that you were doing? Yeah, it really was. I was trying to get, you know, just trying to stay calm, you know, because I've, you know, just been on scenes where, you know, we've been in car wrecks and stuff and seeing people panic and pass out or bleed out, you know, because I've been on this for four years since uh, uh, at the time of the accident, I've been on the fire department for four years. I've been on, on a lot of bad calls and stuff. And, you know, my dad was always one of those people like, you know, you know never give up, stay in the fight. And as long as you're awake, you know, you can pretty much control your destiny. But if you, you know, you, I've just seen, you know, I've seen people give up when they've had a chance to live. And it's sad, you know, that people just give up so easily sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So thank God you are a miracle. Yeah, absolutely. He is. So Matt, can you take us through a little bit about after? So you go to the hospital. I'm assuming they probably knocked you out. Had a phone call. Yeah. um, So. I go to the hospital. They weren't sure exactly what happened. They thought I had fallen off the truck. Mm. The hospital did a really, really bad job. They said I had a broken ankle and we, and some broken ribs and released me. Um, my jaw was actually deviated over about a quarter of an inch. I couldn't move my neck, couldn't move my back. My shoulders were jacked up. So when I get home, um, after just, you know, four or five hours, my dad literally has to cut the clothes off of me because I couldn't move and, you know, sit in a bathtub and there was actually bruising on my back. And you could actually tell that, the, you know, there was tire tread bruising on my back where the tire, uh, the truck had went over. Um, so it was two days later. I went to a specialist and realized my jaw was broken and both of my shoulders had been dislocated. So they had to wire my mouth together during that surgery. Um, I could hear the dentist talking or the uh, orthopedic or the surgeon talking. And I actually came to during the anesthesia right as they set the jaw, which was pretty painful. So they put me back under. Um, so I had my jaw wired for six weeks. Uh, shoulders, you know, they were just pretty much, they popped back in place by themselves, but, you know, prior to me going to the uh, specialist and seeing it, they were just really swollen. Um, I had problems with that for years afterwards where they would just spontaneously dislocate. You know, be walking and they pop out of place. They don't do it anymore. It hasn't happened in years. It was actually a year later when I ran into a piece of metal at my job and cut my head open and went to the hospital, had to get stitches. And my wife told, you know, because I had problems with uh, tingling. My hands would go numb. My legs would go numb. I'd have pressure, headaches. I was always hurting. 
And so uh, my wife told him, to, you know, tell him your neck hurts and your back hurts. So I told him and they did an x-ray with me standing up. The x-ray went down my throat, you know, kind of open your mouth when you uh, mm -hmm. tilt your head back. And the doctor came up about five minutes later and said, hey, when did you break your neck and back? I was like, well, I guess it, when I got ran over. And he said, uh, he immediately put me uh, with the, with the specialist. He said, if I were to get shoved from behind or hit from behind, like anything, then I'd be paralyzed from the neck down. It was uh, C, uh, C5 and C6. So my spinal cord was kind of like like that. I don't know if you can see the finger. Mm -hmm. So it was about a quarter of space is all I had, you know. Three quarters of it was impinged. So I had the surgery and uh, they fixed my neck. My back, T11, T12, there's a compression fracture. At the time, they said there was no way to fix that. So I just dealt with that. Um, I lost about 7% of movement in my neck. But other than that, I've got full function of everything. I haven't let it slow me down. I've actually pushed myself harder to uh, overcome that because I lost all muscle tone couldn't lift my arms and everything so i had to go to physical therapy for a long time Jeez. so i i actually want to shift it just a little bit and, and i'm i'm curious about this how has the engineer responded after the fact he was uh he was pretty tore up um you know we, he was at the hospital he was crying saying he was sorry and everything and by the time I really healed enough to come back to the uh, the fire department, we had lost contact and just I ran into him probably say fourteen or fifteen years later. Mm -hmm. um, he had walked into one of the federal buildings I was at, and uh, I had to walk away. I was uh, very angry, mm -hmm. and so I just didn't want to see him, didn't want to talk to him or anything else. I've let that go since then. It's just that initial, you know, seeing them and it brought back a lot of emotions and a lot of memories. So, why do you think that was? You know, I don't know. I didn't think I, I didn't think I had any issues with it. Um, I thought I was okay, but um, I don't know if it's because the pain and the suffering that I went through and the the problems that it caused my mother. My mother, my mother blamed herself because she was the one dispatching it. And she said, if I wouldn't have dispatched a call, then you would have never gotten hurt. So, it, I mean, it, it messed with my mom a lot, messed with my dad. Um, but my dad, he's okay with it. My mom just recently passed away about three years ago. So, but it had always bothered her. We're sorry to hear that. Yeah. Thank you. I am. Um, I lost my mom too. A little, little bit longer than that, but it's not easy. No, so, Matt, how long did it actually take you before you were able to recover enough to be able to go back to work? Um. You know, I went back to work not long after because the work I was doing, I was a, a work for a, a small railroad where we did, um, you know, switching in the yard. So my boss, you know, let me come to work and uh, just take it easy there. Um, you now, after I found out my neck and back were broken, then that was probably another, which was a, almost a year later. So probably about a good two, two and a half years before I was fully recovered where I didn't have any issues without my shoulders popping out of place or, you know, anything else like that. I still have muscle spasms in my back every once in a while. But other than that, I mean, I haven't really let it slow me down. Hmm, that's, that's really good. So apart from the 
the only thing that you made mention of when it comes to any of the mental aspect of everything that you went through was the anger that resurfaced when you saw the engineer all those years later. So can you talk to us a little bit about what that mental healing process looked like? Yeah. um, You know, I'd always been one of those people that was like, Hey, you know, you can't go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. They don't know you. Um, There's no way they can tell you what's wrong. And, you know, I had a really bad stigma against it. I just didn't believe in it. And uh, I was taking a medication to help me with sleep. And uh, the insurance company said, hey, the only way, this is a psychiatric medication. So the only way we can continue this medication is if you go see a psychologist or psychiatrist. And uh, so I went there, met with the doctor, sat there and just, I felt comfortable. I didn't know the man. He didn't know me. I let everything out. Um, it felt really good. Um, found out I was diagnosed with uh, PTSD. I had a bipolar mania, um, ADD, and um, just recently got diagnosed with uh, associative disorder because of holding so much stuff in for such a long time that the doctor said it was kind of like a safety mechanism. My, my mind just shuts down. So there'll be times where I may not remember a whole day's events. Now, when I go back and talk to the people, acted properly. They couldn't tell any difference that was going on, but I just completely black uh, block it out. I don't remember anything about it. Mm-hmm. So I go oh. to I go to the doctor every month now, psychologist, talk to them, see if everything's going okay. I'm on several different medications. What was that that buffer of time before you decided, like, hey, something? something is wrong here. Like I need to start doing something in the very beginning before you got initiated because of the medication. Oh my gosh. It was, it was years. And my wife, you know, she was a nurse and she's always, you know, one that wants to believe like, Hey, if you need help, you need to go ask for it and deal with a professional. And I was hardheaded, um, a lot due to my dad, the way I was raised, he was like, you know, one of those people I got it from him was like, you know, no one can tell you what's going on. He was in the military so it was a really big stigma against them to say that, hey, they have issues because back, you know, when he was in the military, it was really bad where you would get shunned upon and everything else. And there was really no um, mental health care for the guys at that time like there is now. I mean, we have so many different avenues that we can go with it now. Um, they still have my feeling is there's still a long way to come when it comes to uh, the cities different cities, different departments on opening up and keeping stuff confidential and allowing, you know, police officers, firefighters and everything else to actually go and seek help. So I I know that a lot of people that might listen to this, whether it's in our group or on the podcast, that they might have dealt with something maybe not as extreme, but certainly something in terms of trauma. So what advice would you give to them after having gone through literally the entire loop and back again yourself. Uh, get help. There's nothing wrong with it at all. Um, we actually can't control it like we think we can. A lot of the times it's a chemical imbalance. There's n- absolutely nothing you can do to correct the chemical imbalance. It takes medication to get everything back on the order. Um, I have no shame in it. You shouldn't have any shame in it. There's several groups to help you. Um, our rates with suicides in our profession is way, way too high. And, uh, I think it's due to, um, people holding it in, not letting it out, not having a uh, mental health care, um, 
facilities that, you know, maybe departments would offer, you know, if they would come in and talk, you know, when you go to your mental health police officer school and stuff like that, they tell you different areas and where you can go get help. I think if they actually started that in the academy, um, I'm sure different states work it differently, but, you know, hey, you're going to have issues and you're going to see traumatic stuff and it's okay to go get help. But it's always this, you know, it's this gung-ho stuff from the beginning. Like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm awesome. I can handle everything. Nothing bothers me. And when you actually get home after working a back haul and it keeps flashing back and that's all you're thinking of and then it starts disrupting your sleep and then you're more short-tempered and you bring it, you know, your outlets are towards people you love and care about. It shouldn't be. I mean, you're just, you're releasing on them and there's de- there's definitely stuff going on. Yeah. And I want to almost add on to that is, you know, you say there's no shame for yourself and that's okay, but there's no shame in your partners and your brothers and sisters who are first responders either in seeking that help. We're our own worst enemy when it comes to the psychology or just getting that seeking help because we we're hard on one another. So yes. we need to start getting that stigma off of each other and stop saying, look, oh, you're weak. You're just a pussy for going and getting help. And, right. and that needs to change. And, and so thank you for saying that. And I remember, yeah. you know, going back halls and then, you know, all the guys would get together and laugh and joke around, you know, joke about it. But that's actually, you know, they're, they're looking for a release and they don't know how else to do it instead of making fun of something. I mean, it's a tragic event. You should make fun of it, but it does happen. It's just, you know, like, hey, this really isn't bothering me. I'm okay. You know, you know, you know, so-and-so died or I had to do this. And it uh, it really affects everybody. I'm sorry, but unless you're a cold-hearted psycho- psychopath, you, you're going to have issues with stuff you see and that you're involved in and you deal with. And just encourage one another to go get help, you know seek professional help because um, sometimes it's going to take medications to uh, get everything back on track. Yeah. We have that echoed here in the comments too. There's nothing wrong with psychological help, brother. So absolutely. And you spoke to the effective outlets. And one question I had asked you before we started this interview was what's one thing that we might not be able to tell about you or know about you just by looking at you. And you made mention of another outlet. Uh, which what what was that the uh, the other outlet has something to do with the wild hair? Your little Yorkie. Oh, my little Yorkie! Yes, so that's uh, gosh, you know, I was always you know I would go out with friends two, three, four, or five nights a week, you know, just because I couldn't stay still, and then um, we got this little dog, and uh, as soon as I seen her, it was like an instant connection, and I caught her my little chicken nuggets. And, um, and she knows when I'm having a bad day and when she comes up, she loves on me. As soon as she sees me, she'll crawl up on me and she'll, she'll turn her head sideways and bite my nose. That's her little way of saying hello. And, um, I would rather stay at home with my dog than ever go out with any of my friends or anything else because it's just, you know, animals are non-judgmental. I wish, I wish humans were like dogs. I mean, they're just so happy to see you and love on you and jump on you and everything else. And if, if it was that way, this world would be a great place. I mean, they're 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 really good to have. I mean, they just they have that way of knowing if something's going on. It's just awesome. 
Yeah, yeah. And this, uh, let's see, yes, Clint, we are harder on our own. And yes, that, that needs to change. And to follow up with what you just said, Clint and I just had a discussion this morning. We're, we're at this event for a few days. And I look at him and I'm like, should we go home one day early? And the entire reason why is because we miss our dogs. Yes. <laughs> yes. We, yeah. uh, our last vacation, we actually took them. And um, I, if I go on a vacation now, it's like, okay, where can we go where we can actually take the dog? Because I don't want to go on a cruise because I can't take my dog. And so, I, I mean, it has a, a big effect. I, you know, that's my, my, my comfort zone is, uh, is being with my dog. I love how you worded it that way. That's exactly the right way to word it for us too. And and we need to create a cruise where you can take your dog. Right. <laughs> yeah, you should, um, <clears throat> Matt, you should post a picture inside of the comments when we're done with this and somebody should tag Miss Christina because she also has a Yorkie and she, she feels exactly the same way with that sweet little boy. So awesome. So to wrap this up, Matthew, if somebody wants to know more about you or maybe just wants another outlet to be able to, to just talk, is there any way that people can get a hold of you? Yeah, they feel free to call me. Um, my telephone number is uh, 817-800-6382. And you call me 24-7. Um, and I'll be able to answer the phone. I'll be able to stop what I'm doing, especially if it's someone that's reaching out that needs help or just has a question. I'm, I'm available for you. Yeah, that's an incredible extension of kindness. I don't know many people that would deliberately just throw their number out like that. So if you're listening to this and you do feel like you just want to hop on the call or even say hi and make a new friend, I would definitely encourage you to just do that and know that you're not alone. And Matt, we're so thankful that you were able to share the morning with us. And I hope you and Chicken Nugget, <laughs> which I still can't believe the name. <laughs> And we will talk to you later. All right. Thank you very much. You have a great day. You too. Thank you too.